Hey guys, what's up? It is week 161, and uh, of course I'm going to let you guys know that the 4K Blue Underground contest is still going on. To, uh, you get a chance to win Zombie and Maniac in 4K. Um, all you have to do is basically shoot your address over in an email to ScreamingToiletContest at gmail.com. Now, uh, you don't have much time. I'll probably be drawing, um, right when you see this, it'll probably be posted Wednesday. You'll have till Friday or Saturday to enter, so uh, be quick, and then I'll draw the following week, So um, or that week, I mean, so. So yeah, so next week I will be drawing for the contest. So get it in at ASAP when you see this video and hopefully you'll have time to enter. I have about, you know, I don't know, 50, 60 entries so far. So that's pretty good and we'll see um, who's going to win it. I'll send it right over overseas and everything. So yeah. Um, also, I want to let you guys know about a correction. I said that Blood Quantum took place in um, like Oregon or something. It takes place in Canada. It's a Canadian movie. I don't know what I, I knew it was a Canadian movie, but I thought it took place in the United States. I'm a dummy. It took place in Canada. Apologize. Um, also, I want I want to let you guys know that I did another guest spot in the 22 Shots of Moods and Horror podcast. I was on the Crazies episode. You guys know I love the original Crazies, OG vs. Remake, and I uh, love the original Crazies by George Romero. We talked about a, a lot about that, and we talked about the remake some. But yeah, so if you're interested in that, that should be up within a little bit. So check out the 22 Shots of Moods and Horror podcast. So I guess let's hop into some of the uh, reviews. The first one is from Arrow Video, and this is Why Don't You Just Die? Now, this is a Russian film, and I had heard a little bit about this one. I can't remember if Jeremy actually from 22 Shots had seen this one. He might have. I can't remember. But uh, yeah, this one's pretty crazy. Right away, I noticed that it was kind of shot like a Western movie. The music uh, kind of reminded me of some like Ennio Morricone kind of stuff, which I kind of dug. And um, it, it would cut to like close-ups of the eyes and then a wide shot like the westerns like Sergio Leone would do another thing I, I'm fond of so this is kind of a crazy movie uh, I guess it jumps around quite a bit to not not quite a bit but the story structure is a little bit you know not not typical so what we have right in the beginning is this young man kind of knocks on the door of this house and this uh this bald man answers he seems kind of intimidating and he's like um what do you want he's like I'm here um I'm your daughter's boyfriend he's like never said he had a boy she had a boyfriend so it's really awkward at first and he's carrying a hammer and you, you kind of assume that there's something definitely about to happen that he's probably going to try to kill them or you don't know who he really is so then after there's this amazing scuffle where it's hyper violent like super violent over the top almost like sam raimi violence where if someone stabbed blood hits the ceiling or japanese style splatter gore so it's funny that the title is why don't you just die because it's damn near impossible to kill this young kid and almost everybody else in the movie so what we learn is um, it keeps kind of flashing back. I think it's divided into kind of four parts where you have these characters and you see their backstory and why they're all doing this and why they're all here. And of course, it's a story of greed, like, you know, a lot of those spaghetti westerns were, you know, especially Good, Bad, and Ugly over the gold. So it definitely has that going for it. There's some twists and revelations that are pretty cool, or reveals, I should say, is a little bit better more accurate. So uh, there's a bunch of that going on. I, I really like the the main performance by, um, there's like, I mean, I guess it's kind of like an ensemble. So all the characters are kind of fairly, you know, leveled out here. But I really like the um, the dad, the cop. He's really intimidating and scary and uh, also kind of funny at the same time. And, and even though uh, he's not really a good guy at all, I, I right in the beginning, I kind of sided with him. But uh, you learn, you know, not everybody is who they seem. 
and there's a lot of people taking advantage of other people here and there stuff but regardless i really enjoyed this one i thought it was well done i thought it was vastly entertaining i thought it was really violent i thought it was really funny too at times the violence is kind of humorous too because it gets like to that point where people are actually not dying <laughs> like just they'll do some crazy things with it but um it, it's dark it's really dark and they build this whole movie in one location like it's pretty much in this apartment and it's a set you can tell because they destroyed the hell out of it there's lots of kind of gags where they'll fly through the walls and trash the whole thing and uh, spray blood all over the walls but really enjoyed this one really dug it liked how it um you know unfolded and everything and there's some nice camera techniques and they do go out of the room and the flashbacks and stuff and they do some cool things especially over a murder scene which is really kind of uh crazy but uh i would give this one a, a strong recommend it was one of the better movies i saw this year there's a nice little um featurette with kim newman talking about the movie he definitely makes correlations or comparisons to to westerns for sure and that you have to right when you watch this you're like this is like a crime western or something like that it feels like that big heavy western influences and he also talks a lot about russian cinema and how the world sees russian cinema and how russian cinema sees itself and how they're kind of playing into that which is also interesting um there's also some shorts by the director on here as well um it looked good it sounded good it's a it's a pretty entertaining movie from arrow video i would recommend checking this one out for sure um yeah high recommend on this good stuff Не знаю, может, это какая-то профессиональная деформация, но я очень внимательно отношусь к друзьям своей дочери. Я лучше пойду. Сейчас. Сейчас мы поиграем. Бонус к зарплате. Мы сразу поняли, что парень он хороший, добрый. Вот суки. Отпусти его. Куда его отпущу? Он же отморозок. Слушай, ну извини, извини за ногу, ну. Okay. All right, guys. Another one from Arrow Video. And I had heard about this movie for years. It has Robert Ginty and Fred Williamson in it. And uh, years back, the people would always point out online about the music. What fire? What fire? Yeah, the, the music's ridiculous. Gets stuck in your head. But Arrow Video put this one, this kind of a cult movie, big time cult movie on uh, Blu-ray. And it had kind of a reputation for being like this cheesy, kind of so bad it's good action movie from the 80s, 83. Robert Ginty is from Exterminator, of course, and a handful of other movies. And if you don't know who Fred Williamson is, I don't know what to tell you. But uh, this this plot is ridiculous. There's a brother and sister, and they're kind of like, I, I guess they're helping smuggle diamonds or, or whatever. And there's this super um, radioactive diamond called Whitefire that's kind of a um, almost a mythological thing that no one really believes. So essentially what happens is the sister gets killed. 
and um, he uh, finds another woman that looks like the sister and they kind of give her a plastic surgery thing to make her look like the sister so they could continue the heist and there's some people that work in the mines and there's double crossing here but the woman who used to be um, the prostitute who changed into his sister was she was a prostitute so Fred Williamson who is like a pimp comes looking for her with his guys so it gets all convoluted and complex and ridiculous and nonsensical and there's these big set pieces that are nonsense where like Robert Ginty grabs a chainsaw and he starts slashing and fighting with these guys on docks and it's just weird and bizarre and goofy and I find it really funny like if you guys ever seen the movie um, Scalpel that um, Arrow video put out as well um, Scalpel is like this kind of southern gothic um, you know movie where this plastic surgeon basically turns this woman into his daughter so he can get inheritance, but there's this weird incestuous um, thing with his daughter, and it's really creepy because he's like infatuated with the girl that looks like his daughter. Really creepy stuff here, and dirty. And Whitefire has that too, like and the brother and sister do not look at each other like their brother and sister, and even in the very beginning when they get rescued as kids, which is kind of a hilarious scene, that actually has the director in it doing action stunts and getting set on fucking fire, but um, yeah. It's just weird that this relationship that the two have is just kind of batshit. Like, it's disgusting as hell, and then as it progresses, it's not really a sister, and she's been turned in to look like his sister, and it's just like... Uh, it's a whole movie where it seems like the lead hero wants to screw his sister, kind of like Scalpel is a movie about the main character wanting to screw his daughter. And they're both about, you know, greed and getting the diamonds and everything like that. But there's some action set pieces that are fun. It's ridiculous. The music is really catchy and very 80s. Um... And the movie looks pretty good for what it is. They cleaned it up, you know, because it's a it's a low budget movie. It sounds good. Those those uh, cheesy scores and, and soundtrack will come in nice on your uh, setup. Um, it's an enjoyable movie, and uh, Fred Williamson is interviewed on here. I loved hearing him talk about it. And he's like, "Yeah, I noticed in the editing they really didn't know what they were doing, and they'd have a guy just waiting to punch and stuff." And he's like, "You know, but." It's a bad movie, but it's entertaining to watch. It's funny to watch. And does that really make it a bad movie then? And Cat Ellinger says the same thing on the commentary. And they are right. It's not intentionally made bad. It's just made bad because they were, you know, kind of amateur filmmakers on a budget and they just didn't really know what they were doing. And the end result is entertaining, kind of shellac, but it is entertaining and it's not purposely bad. It's, it's earnest, as stupid as it is. And, um, you know, I can give this a slight recommend because I did enjoy watching it. And the music's actually very catchy. I, I challenge anyone to not get it stuck in your head. It'll probably be playing in the background here because I, I like it. I, I dig the music. But it's kind of cool that Arrow put this one out because I would have never guessed they would have put this one out ever. When Robert Kinty, star of The Exterminator, and Fred Williamson from the Bronx Warriors meet head-on in their quest for the fabulous 200-carat diamond, White Fire, the screen erupts in high-powered violence. But other corrupt forces also want the priceless gem, resulting in an onslaught of brute forces and ruthless conflict. Suspense and action are interwoven into a web of bloodletting adventure. White fire, a total screen detonation. Okay, the next one, I do not have a cover or even a trailer for the damn thing. Maybe I'll sneak a clip in here if I can find anything not too dirty. But it is from my friend Nathan Rumler. Um, he directed Gay for Prey, which I was in, which is a comedy. And so, you know, I obviously have some biases towards it. But Nathan Rumler directed this one. It's called Amityville Vibrator.
That's right, Amityville Vibrator. And the title is obviously kind of a take or making fun of the, you know, there was a part of the Amityville series where everything was like, basically, this is a dollhouse from the Amityville home or this is a clock. It's about time. So it's kind of a joke about the Amityville items being taken out of the house and making a movie after that because the Amityville name is not copyrighted. And all the really, really awful movies that have Amityville in the title that have come out in the last 10 years or so, like Amityville, you know, the in the woods and all those crummy, movies that are just living off the Amityville name that probably appear in Redbox that are just unbearable. I'll never watch those. So this is kind of a parody or, or kind of poking fun at those, but I have to say this is also an SOV movie, so it's dirt cheap. The sound's kind of messed up at times and it does have some familiar faces for me in there, some indie people like uh, Corella Waring, who is an invalid, so I know her. She's in a couple other things. Nathan Rumler pops up in here and, um, you know, Steve Nolan is in here from uh, some of their other stuff they've worked on and geez, um, Ashley Shore She's in uh, Gay for Prey as well. So it's got a couple indie people I recognized and, and that are in some of their other movies. Brian and his movies who do. Um, geez, I can't think of their movies off the top of my head. Their name of their movies. But Rumler and Papandrea do the movies. And Kilby. So, um, yeah, uh, this one. Like I said, this movie is super raunchy. It's basically, I would call it softcore, but there's penetration shots. So it's not really softcore. There's um, dicks, of course. There is uh, girls masturbating with the Amityville vibrator. The plot is there's these two paranormal kind of people looking for Amityville items. They're looking for this Amityville vibrator, but this one uh, girl picks it up at this garage sale, but it's like a, it's supposed to go to her, whatever, you know, haunting movies work. So um, basically starts to have weird hauntings and possessions, and people are kind of possessed by the Amityville vibrator. <coughs> there is like a pretty much highly graphic scene of two um, women having, uh, pleasuring themselves or pleasuring each other with the vibrator and it goes all in you see everything which kind of shocked me that they they went that far with it but um the movie is also a comedy so there's these really kind of goofy one-liners in here that actually some of them made me laugh out loud especially when they're talking dirty to each other but the part that really got me was this moment where um there's a dummy that's somehow affected by the um amityville vibrator and uh it's sitting there in a chair and then they come back and it has this fake mustache it's obvious on it and corella is like man there's something different about that doll and the other girl's like I, I don't know and it's just like zoom in on the doll and zoom back on her and she's making a stupid face and they keep cutting closer and closer and closer it's just a really goofy scene but makes me laugh because Corilla's face is great she's like her face is just funny. I, she just does a really good fi funny face in here. Um, the actresses and actors, the people in this movie are pretty fearless, man. They do some crazy stuff. I'm like thinking, like, I don't think I would have done that. I don't think I would have done that. Um, so uh, you got to give them credit for a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, like, it does suffer from budget constraints. It is very low budget. It is SOV, so there's that going on. And there's a scene, a tripping scene, that lasts a long time that might lose some uh, people, some viewers. But um, it's just really kind of bizarre and weird, and they're out in the woods tripping for a long period of time. But uh, the gore effects are done by James and Maybell, so you guys seen any of those movies? They're like crazy SOV movies that are super gory and just kind of almost surreal and German splatter-like to me, um, where the effects are really weird and crazy and um, just like their own world kind of deal thing. And those are the effects, so there's tons of splatter and like weird body parts strewn about. Um, this one is definitely, you know, only for a certain amount of people. So if, you, if you're worried about like highly sexualized stuff or, or SOV or, or kind of just weird movies, like it, it's just batshit. Like this is going to be a very um, small group of people that dig this one that really have raunchy senses of humor and everything like that. But um, there, there's some pretty explicit stuff in here, which even took me back where I was like, wow, that's explicit. That is very explicit. But um, if this sounds like it's up your alley, check it out. Um, I think it's debuting. It should uh, debut 
reviewed its screening already. It's um, online um, premiere already should have been done. Um, it, actually, I think uh, June 6th it should. You guys won't be seeing this until at least, you know, middle of uh, June 10th or something like that. So, uh, yeah, if it sounds like it's up your alley, uh, check it out. It's pretty bonkers. Okay, um, this is kind of a new series I will be doing. Um, if you guys know the podcast Under the Stairs um, that is ran by Duncan McLeish. Hope I said the last name right. He's a Scottish guy. He does a bunch of stuff, and he does these summer um, summer shows where he basically, every summer, he'll pick a decade of movies, and he invites all these different podcasters on there to basically talk about the movies and everything like that. Um, they each get to pick, like, two. It's this elaborate set of rules, and they put two, they each pick, like, four or something, and they break it down to two, so they review, like, ten movies together, and there's four podcasters, and then they put two through to make the rankings for the decade, to find the best of the decade. Last um, summer, they did the 90s, which I listened to, and because um, JP was kind of um, going to be on, the, he was on the 90s show, so he was talking the Duncan and he kind of was talking about the adjudicator spots and ended up um, they, they kind of brought me up he did for and got me on the show so adjudicator is a little uh, is a little different the adjudicator basically they have are signed two years this year he's doing it different this year and they, I basically am the double backup for them. They pick the two that go through, and I have a choice to pick two that I think are better. And then there's another adjudicator that double checks me, and then everybody else votes on them. So basically, it, it's kind of a complex situation. I am the first adjudicator. So basically, my um, job is to watch the 10 movies that they've chosen, and um, they pick two, and i got to pick the two that I think are best. And I've got the years 2001 and 2002. If you've not checked out the podcast um, under the stairs, I suggest you do so. It's a really good podcast. He has interviews on there. He reviews Arrow, 88 Films, all sorts of stuff. He's uh, one of the most professional guys in the podcasting biz. Super nice guy, too. But, uh, yeah, so I got 2001 and 2002. I've, for years, complained about these years in Years of Horror. I always be like 1997 to like 2003 or four is like the worst time for horror movies. But, um, basically, I have to watch 10 2001 movies that they've picked and 10 2002 movies I've picked. I'm going to try to do five a week for four weeks because at the end of June I have to be done so maybe I'll cram them in there. Some of these I had seen, there's a few that I hadn't. So the first one I'm going to start off with is Session 9 by who did this? Brad Anderson. Um, this is a Scream Factory release and um, this one I had fond memories of. I caught it years ago um, I don't know, over 10 years ago, um, 15 years ago maybe even, whenever, it, uh, you know, and, and I caught it on TV. We, Me and my friend just were sitting there one day and it was like, what, what's this? Let's It's on demand, it's free. So we put it on and we started watching it and and I, I liked it. We both were like, that was pretty good. He, and, and years later, I never forgot it. Session 9 was one of those movies that stuck with me. I, I thought about it for years. So when I saw that it was on the list of 2001, I was like, okay, I'm gung-ho to definitely rewatch that one because I have kind of a good memories about it. It stars um, basically the biggest actor that you'll recognize by name is David Caruso, but it has um, Larry Fessenden in here as a small role. And some other people that you recognize, um, Scott Ross from Oz is in here. I don't know his actor name. Um, all of them are recognizable faces and all really solid actors. So um, I like the setup of this movie quite a bit. Um, it involves, um, it's a psychological horror, but it also has maybe like some shining aspects to it, like a haunted location almost, or something something like that, but it brings up all these different questions and, and, and you wonder what is actually going on. So, um, these five guys are basically hired to, um, get the asbestos cleared out of an old mental asylum that they can't tear down because it's considered a historical location. So these guys basically have to go in and clean out the asbestos so they can update this place and they have a week to do so. They, they underbid themselves so they could get the job. The guy who's running the show is kind of desperate for it. David Caruso is kind of his, like, you know, his foreman. And then he has like three or four guys working for under him. One, 
Uh, two of them, David Caruso and one of the other guys kind of have this kind of back and forth because one stole the other one's girlfriend. There's a young kid that's there and there's a guy who's studying kind of to be a lawyer. So basically they go into this asylum and in the beginning of this movie, there's some great moments where a security guard kind of sets up the whole place and he talks about the history a little bit of the place saying that, you know, back in the day, Ronald Reagan closed down all these asylums and kind of let the people go out into the streets or, or get sent to these care homes and everything like that. And then there's a scene where the guy who's basically hiring them to renovate it walks them through the whole wing and breaks it down like it's built kind of like a mutated bat and it's like a or a big evil bat or something like that in the in the wings and everything like that. So they break it all down and they start explaining all these things. And um, through that, you kind of set up the whole situation and how creepy the whole place is. And right when you go into the area, it's like a, it's like a character in itself. It's just horrifying. Like there's this abandoned chair sitting there in the middle. There's these all these weird pictures on the wall, and it kind of takes you right back to that documentary, The Cropsy, when they talk about Andre Ron, and he was in one of these insane asylum mental institution places, and the care that they got was not very great. And you just kind of put yourself in that kind of situation, and you're just unnerved immediately. It's just very effective and very creepy. So essentially, these guys start to work, and you can you can sense their relationship, their characters, and over time, you kind of know who all these guys are uh, fairly quickly, and it, it starts to set up like these little skips in them that they might not be all like right. And, and um, one guy, um, the guy who's, who's a Scott Ross and Oz, starts to go down to the basement, and he's a guy who practices to be a lawyer, so he's interested in law, and he starts to listen to these tapes that he finds in the basements, and they're all labeled session one, two, three. And he's listening to them, and he's listening to the story unfold about this person that's being interviewed, kind of like um, they, they obviously have a multiple personality disorder, and they're hiding something deeply embedded within them, and you see like pictures of the person who they're interviewing, and it's like Billy and Simon, and there's different voices, and it's just so goddamn unnerving and just unpleasant. And um, you can just tell that all these guys are possible suspects to big people that could snap. You don't know what, and they play with that. They play with you. They play with their, you know, their unloyalties and their mental stability. And you really don't know what's going on if, if it's the place that's completely um, at fault or it's their psychology that's at fault. But um, the last line in this movie is just such a wonderful, wonderful, creepy moment. And it's just so perfect, so perfect. And it plays in so well. And the reveal, the way they reveal it, I just get chills every time I, I think about it even. It's just so goddamn effective and so um, messed up and creepy. And just scares the hell out of me because so often not do you not get, here's you don't get a group of grown men going in to do a job. And there's so many movies that don't take place when you're at work. Alien is a movie that takes place when you're at work. Um, you work like 30% of your life and movies take place never at work. They, it just doesn't happen very often, especially horror movies. So I really like the idea that these guys are, are stuck in this insane asylum, fixing it up, and it's just a creepy location. It's perfect. And people would compare this to The Shining, I think. I, I mean, I don't want to give high hopes for people because The Shining is The Shining, you know, and Session 9 is Session 9. But um, I think this is a fantastic movie. I think it's a great film. Um, I'd love to hear what the other people are going to say about it. Some people may like it. Some people may dislike it, but, uh, and Caruso, he's an actor that, you know, I've always had mixed feelings about, but as I got older, I'm thinking why he never really did anything. The CSI show did, was kind of cheesy to me, but that's CSI. That's just something that's cheesy. But when I look, think back and I'm his small roles in like Hudson Hawk makes fine or China girl or King of New York. I'm like, he's good in those movies or mad dog and glory. He's kind of a hothead, but it works. And this one, I really like him. And uh, they do a switch with him where you think he's something else. And, and it kind of switches. And you're like, oh, a couple times, really. Um, but you can't forget the line where he's like, fuck you. Um, but um, I love this movie. There's great scares. It just works well. Built suspense very well. Psychological stuff to the max. Um, love it.
Love it very much. And it's got like two, three different storylines going on all at the same time. And they come together perfectly at the end. And it just works and makes a statement about, you know, uh, mentally ill people or, or even sometimes places that could maybe affect your mental health just by being there. Gotta get construction crews in here by Columbus Day, so you gotta guess for a minute how long? I've got four really good guys. One week, we're gone. That's fast. I need the job. So the loonies are outside in the real world, and here we are with the keys to the loony bin, boys. <laughs> you might actually want to be grateful, and you're about to make some decent money. What's the catch? Patricia Willard scandal, 1984. I want you to try to remember what happened 24 years ago. Use your imagination. Shrinks figured that with these new techniques they designed, they could release hidden memories. You got to hear me. You okay? I want to go home. I wouldn't tell anybody about this. If they find out about Hank, they're going to find out about the others. Quit of the others. I want to come home. I am so sorry. Okay, the next one I actually watched on Amazon. I rented it in HD because I only have the DVD. But this is From Hell, from the Hughes Brothers. And uh, believe it or not, I'm a huge Hughes Brothers fan. And this one is the one I haven't seen. I don't know why. I watched Menace to Society and Dead Presidents uh, at least a, ha a half a dozen times. And I've always showed friends those movies because I'm a miserable person. And I like making other people miserable at the same time. I'm like, hey, watch this movie. I love it. You're going to be depressed for days. And I remember my friend actually told me that after. He's like, why do you show me this shit, man? It's just, I'm not like you. I can't just get up and go to work and do stuff after watching those movies i'm depressed for after days i'm like hey i like them but from hell is a jack the ripper story and i've always been kind of interested in the jack the ripper movies um you know uh you know a study and tear and all them and this one does have some similarities to the study and tear with the kind of um i guess i would say conspiracy of who jack the ripper is but uh okay johnny depp stars in this movie and johnny depp to me has always been kind of a hit or miss actor i think he's really solid in this one um rory um what's the guy's name uh coltrane robbie coltrane i think is his name in here uh i think it is geez seen a bunch of stuff he's really good in here heather graham is in here there's some other familiar faces but this takes place on what in Whitechapel, of course during the jack the ripper murders and um basically it focuses on a group of prostitutes are, are some of the main characters in the movie and i like that because um all these movies always have prostitutes get mangled and killed and uh, a lot of people always claim that oh these movies are heartless and they hate women but i've always generally felt bad for the prostitutes and always been most sympathetic towards the prostitutes in the movie because i'm like they're just out there trying to make a living maybe they're hard up but honestly Whitechapel is such a miserable freaking place um uh, the way they do this, and, and the production design is great in this movie, um, how all the women basically, they talk about, you know, uh, having to pay, like, a, a money just to sleep on a bench in a church, and then when their time's up, they get woken up and sent back out on the street, and they all have these problems with alcohol and everything. But um, Johnny Depp is sort of a semi, kind of a, I want to say, um, not a psychic, but of somebody who has, like, not pre premonitions, I guess you would say, like, uh, spider sense premonitions or whatever, Um 
where he can kind of sense or get visions of crimes to happen and everything like that. But he also is addicted to opium because he's had some hardships in his life, you know, loss of loved ones here and there. He gets involved with the case and he kind of has starts a relationship with Heather Graham's character. He's kind of like a main prostitute here. Um, Riley, is it Mary Riley? I think it is. I want to say it is. Is that right? I know that name so familiar maybe it's not but regardless um i think there's a movie of um was it julie roberts in that movie uh geez man something so i can't remember everything but um yeah so essentially he gets involved with the case and there's a group of prostitutes that are all witness to something they probably shouldn't have witnessed that involves jack the ripper and it goes up this huge ladder involving the masons and involve the freemasons and all these kind of people in politics and and positions of power ian holm is in it from alien of course and he is there that starts kind of like a doctor that ends up kind of breaking the ranks and helping johnny depp a little bit but of course this movie has a bunch of twists and turns and everything like that and uh the murders i think are really well done i think they're effective i like the cast i like the prostitutes and and they get picked off and everything and and some of the stuff is actually directly out of the case if i remember correctly like the thing written on the walls like the jews are to blame or something like that i can't remember every little detail about the movie did watch these you know over possibly a week ago but um i thought this film was pretty good pretty good movie i thought it was well made well acted um there's some good um set pieces in here and there's a little bit more action than i thought there would be uh i I like it i like the relationship between coltrane and Johnny Depp. I think it's believable. And um, I don't have much complaints about the movie. I think it's well done. I think it's creepy. And I, I do like the Jack the Ripper story, of course. And I, I they go kind of up into like the big leagues where somebody could be, you know, a conspiracy and stuff like that. And that reminded me a little bit of the study of terror, that one, where they're kind of covering up things here and there. But I would recommend this one. Um, I would like to maybe rewatch it and talk in depth with somebody else about the movie. But um, From Hell, good stuff. And it's completely different from anything else the Hughes brothers ever did, which I also... Uh, respect greatly because you don't really typically see you know um, somebody get to do something so different all the time but um, just completely different and it's such a big movie and, and well done too Inspector I know your reputation for making brilliant guesses that turn out to be right someone told me you claim to dream the answers Sometime this evening, a bank tail was murdered in George Yard. That doesn't sound much out of the ordinary. It was the way she was done, Inspector. It was the way that she was done that cries out for a man of your talent. He can foresee the victims. I saw her. I saw her face. Your vision's about me? Most definitely. You know, they used to burn men like you alive. He could sense the suspects. He must be someone with money. And how do you know that? This ain't killing for profit. This is ritual. But for an inspector in charge of the world's most infamous investigations. He's punishing them. I want double shifts within this area. We'll have mayhem on the streets. I believe this was done by someone with a working knowledge of dissection. An educated man, that's preposterous. The last thing he expected. I want you and your friends off the streets until I can sort this thing out. I do trust you. Was to get close someone who would be next. Jack the Ripper's not finished. Where is he? I want him.
say that I gave birth to the 20th century. You're not going to see the 20th century. Okay, here we go. Another one from 2001 is Suicide Club um, by Science Sono. And um, the other one I reviewed on here was What Force of Love, his newer one. And I thought that movie was kind of crazy. And the messages and themes and everything in his movies, it's like I can kind of grasp them, but I can never fully understand them. And I got to do the same about Suicide Club. This was also another rewatch. And I hadn't seen it in years. I remembered a lot of the big set pieces or, or huge moments in the movie. But um, there's some real iconic stuff in here. The basic plot is that young girls or boys or young young people, teenagers, are just all of a sudden killing themselves at a, at a high rate. And um, it's kind of in the backdrop of like this rising pop star little girl band. And um, the sheriff has like, you know, a, young kid, a couple of teenage kids and a, do a wife and everything. And he's really kind of dived headfirst into this case, deciding, kind of trying to figure out what's going on and everything like that in the case. And they find this kind of roll of, you know, skin um, that is basically a chunk of skin out. And, and one has a tattoo. So they're trying to figure out they keep finding these after a bunch of people have killed themselves but these skin patches are actually from people that yet to kill themselves so they're wondering it just gets really complex and really weird and uh it, it's got these really weird moments like a really amazing moment in here in suicide club is when the group of girls actually all joint hands and jump on the uh in the, under the railroads and of course um um the subway and jump in front of the train it's just like super iconic this movie i don't know what it was shot on but it definitely looks budget like there's a budget kind of constraint holding it back it's not the best looking movie it's kind of cheap looking obviously not shot as well as something like forest of love i mean sono probably got a bigger budget later on in his career after he proved himself with stuff like Suicide Club, but um, you know, a lot of these Japanese kind of horror movies are huge police procedurals. Even stuff like the like Ring, um, they all have that kind of police procedural aspect. Who, which is kind of a to me, they always is weird that they're somehow feel similar to giallos that a lot of those giallos are like horror movies and then they're also police procedurals so it has a lot of that going on too where it's like a lot of detectives or cops are the main characters in the film and not really teenagers and stuff so i i dig that you know it's a nice change of pace but there's also some funny moments i guess not even funny but suspense moments where they think some people are going to do it and they're like basically tailing them the whole time but um there's also kind of a, a thing where they think there's this cult that's responsible for the suicides. And there's just so many weird moments in here and kind of extreme stuff. And, you know, people jumping on puppies and bags and shit like that. It's just, it's a weird movie. And um, I, it's not the most approachable movie. I don't think it's the most approachable. Definitely not of 2001. And it's one of these ones where I feel like you'd have to watch it five or six times, maybe a couple times in a row to really gather what the hell exactly is going on. Um, for me, like I could see some things, but it's just never really directly it connects with me. It, it doesn't connect with me all that well. Like, and like I said, there's so many memorable things in here, especially when the lady's chopping the vegetables. It's just like, uh, so, so screwed up and everything, but I never really grasped what the hell was going on or why it was going on. And I don't know if you're necessarily supposed to, or it's maybe a statement on the, uh, the high suicide rate in Japan. I don't know. And I'd like to discuss this with somebody or maybe somebody that knows more about the film or looked into it more, but it's a movie that always just kind of left me wondering. I like it. I think it's good, but it's, it's always kind of left me a little blank in, in some spots. And, and uh, I, I'm not sure. Um, I'd love to hear them talk about this one on the podcast so I can maybe, you know, develop some more opinions of myself 
by hearing them kind of discuss it and everything like that. But that's Suicide Club. Um, Sign in Soho is, Sono is a director that I'd like to to watch some more stuff from him, of course, like Cold Fish and a slew of others that I've heard are great. Okay, this one I actually have on H in HD on Amazon Prime, so I watched it there, but I do have a DVD of it, and it is uh, Guillermo del Toro's Devil's Backbone. And I'm going to say this, that uh, Guillermo is the absolute best at doing fantasy horror. And uh, fantasy horror, I mean, really, he might be one of the only guys that's still doing it at, the, at a high level, period. And I can't even think of anybody who's ever done it as well as him. We have, of course, stuff like um, Crimson Peak, which is gothic, but it has a fantastic, but more so Pan's Labyrinth. Pan's Labyrinth and the Devil's Backbone. And last year we had Tigers Are Not Afraid, which is not Del Toro, but very heavily inspired by Del Toro, and I'd put it in the same category, this fantasy horror. Um, Devil's Backbone, it's funny, is Devil's Backbone's a ghost story. And I've never been a huge fan of ghost stories, but in um, you know Mexico, this is a Mexican movie, but it's, it takes place in Spain. Maybe it's actually filmed in Spain. I'm not 100% sure, but I know Del Toro is Mexican. And um, and those cultures, ghosts are not the same. Like, ghosts are not the same in any culture. They're all different, varying from different cultures. Like, America, they haunt. But in um, Japan, they're not necessarily the same either. And in, um, you know you know, Mexico and Spain, they're not the same either. Ghosts are not really there to haunt you. It feels more like they're there to warn you or out. And this one, this is definitely kind of a, and the best ghost stories I feel are like the ghost is there to get justice for itself. And that's definitely what's happening here in the devil's backbone. And like Pan's Labyrinth, this movie takes um, place during a, a big turmoil in Spain, like wartime in the situation. So uh, the main character in here, is so it's like they're always like these historical fantastical things which it's a great way to take a reality and put it in a, put fantasy in reality it just makes it feel grounded and i just love how he does that i think he's one of the best directors there is actually probably once you think about it he might not be one of my top five favorites but he is probably one of the best if not the one of the best acting making movies right now but um the way he does that is just fantastic but also it has like um just like pan's labyrinth there's so many comparisons i want to compare this to pan's labyrinth i think they make very great 
sister brother pieces or whatever but um a young boy um he has lost his father to the war and he doesn't know it yet kind of like the revolution or basically the rebels his dad was a rebel he has died and uh, these guys bring him back and tell him that he's going to stay at this orphanage until his dad can come back and everything like that so he puts into this orphanage which doesn't have much money or resources or anything like that, and it's kind of run by three people: this old, this old doctor who's super, super awesome; this young, uh, this uh, this older, another older woman with one leg who has kind of an old relationship with the doctor, and then a, another lady who's a, a teacher. And there's some other people around that kind of help and everything like that. But that's pretty much the whole ordeal here. So he's thrown in with these kids, and at first he's kind of bullied, and then eventually he finds his place here. But uh, there's this really great, awesome moment, or not moment, but kind of deal where there's this missile that has sit right in the middle of the whole whole school that was dropped and never went off, and they said they diffused it. So it's just like this idea that they're sitting next to this missile that technically maybe could go off at any time. But, uh, you know, and there's this, there's a ghost, of course, here. And you don't really know exactly what happened to the ghost. We do get a glimpse at, at a possibility in the beginning that kind of, like, sets some things up. But, um... The ghost there that the young boy keeps seeing him and everybody knows that the ghost exists. They don't really want to talk about it. But um, with the revolution and everything like that, there's some details and some things that happen that kind of put them in jeopardy and everything. And uh, the school is hiding this gold for the revolution or the rebels. So um, there's some people that work there that have some you know bitter feelings and everything like that. And I, I don't want to spoil everything, but there's some really brutal, very sad moments in the film that happen and uh, stuff where people die that you don't expect to die and they die really, really sad and, and tragically. And it's a moment where like kids are the lead. So when kids are in danger, it's terrifying. And you know, Del Toro, Del Toro is not afraid to kill kids. If anybody's ever seen Mimic or Pan's Labyrinth or any of his movies, he doesn't pull his punches when it comes to people being killed. And he doesn't, he doesn't ever it's not like he's like, yeah, isn't this great watching these kids? It's always like a tragedy with his dad. Like I never watched a Del Toro movie and been like, that was a satisfying kill. I'm either like, Oh, or I feel awful. Like when people die in his movies, it, it's besides, unless maybe a main villain, it's never satisfying. It's, it's kind of bothersome. Like he, his violence is bothersome. Even though like some of the monsters or designs are grotesque um, and fantastical and awesome looking um, when there's actual kills, they're bothersome. Um, but, uh, the opening of this movie is such a wonderful thing. Uh, I mean, the cinematography, the filmmaking techniques are all great and everything like that. And, and, uh, even the CGI, even though it's dated from 2001, it still looks good. And this movie looks great for 2001 once you think about it. But this opening, it has this narration that says, what is a ghost? But, and it gives this giant, lovely, lovely kind of monologue, a speech or a poem. Really, it's a poem. And it closes in a way with that. And it just bookends it so wonderfully. And it's just such a, almost a tearjerker, to be honest. And it's just, uh, I kind of love it. I kind of love their statement on Ghost and everything about it. It's just a really intelligent movie and uh, a wonderful movie. A wonderful, wonderful ghost story. And uh, different and uh, set in a, real, a place where reality, you know, and, and fantasy mix in a, in a perfect blend.
Okay, this next one here is another first-time watch. I watched it on Amazon, too. I rented it. But I have the DVD of The Others with Nicole Kidman. Yeah. And um, I, I like Nicole Kidman, you know, from Destroyer and some other things I've seen her. I never really had any complaints. The Others was a ghost story again. And uh, at the time, I was a ghost story hater. Obviously, I'm an idiot, though, because Session 9 could be considered a ghost story in some aspects, maybe. Um, or And Devil's Backbone could be, of course, is a ghost story. So um, I really just, uh, in, in years, I'd never watched The Ring. So, and I like that one a lot. So I just was being a hater in 2001. You got to give me a break. I was only like 15 years old. So, um, the others, yeah. Um, this one is definitely like a Gothic period piece and, uh, set designs. Perfect. Cinematography's really good. Um, Nicole Kidman's really good. The acting's really good. So Nicole Kidman lives in this big house by herself. Um, and she's waiting for her husband to get back from World War II. He's a couple years late. So it looks like he's probably not coming back. If you know what I mean. Um, they're English. If I'm not mistaken, they kind of live in an isolated Island location area. And she's a woman that believes in facts and the Bible. And if it's not in the Bible and it's not fit, uh, factual or anything like that, she will not buy it. If it's not, you know, straightforward, she just cannot understand it. She has her set of rules, and if they're broken, it bothers her completely. She has two kids that are basically, I don't know the, what the disease is, but they can't be touched by the sun. They get sick, they get blisters, they die. So she has these really strict rules in the house where if you open a door, you before you open another door, you must close that door. The blinds all must be closed when the kids are there. They do not have electricity. So essentially, she lives there with two of her kids, and... Um, uh, she's looking for new people to come and be like the um, caretakers, you know, of the house. The old ones just quit unexpectedly. So these three show up one day, an older woman, a younger girl and an older man. <laughs> and they basically start right away. And there's some turmoil kind of later on with them, of course. And right about the halfway mark, you figure out pretty much a huge point of this movie where like, is that going to be it? Is that what we're doing? And that's all that's coming on? Because they, they, they make a lot of points to it and they, they, they say it out loud a million times where she's complaining about things in the Bible, but it can't be like this because it's not reality. I don't want to say it too much because I'll spoil it. But you're, fair, you're like, oh, we're going to do that and that's going to be it. But um, the daughter starts to be overtaken with a split personality and they say they see these, these people in the house and um, there's an old woman that she's seen the most and everything like that and they set this whole thing up to be one thing and the, the actually at one point the husband comes back and you're just like oh now we're pretty much for sure in that but there is a second twist and that second twist after you think about it more makes the movie better like I was thinking about it and I was like that it's so perfect because she refused to believe in anything that wasn't printed in the Bible or could be um, pertained as fake or anything like that. She's only believing in the real things and everything like that. So it worked perfectly well. And um, yet you kind of figure out exactly, you know, who those people are. Um, later on, of course, and it all, and it's a movie that I don't think's ever been done quite like that. The ending I don't think's ever been duplicated. 
Or maybe there was one before, but I don't want to spoil it because it's so weird and it's actually the best part of the movie. Without the ending, it's kind of rather lackluster. But with the ending, it makes it good. It makes it pretty damn good and, and it's a nice little twist. I, I'm not in love with the movie, but I do respect it and like it. It's well shot. It's well acted. It's got a great um, you know set piece and um, it's just got a nice, nice little twist in here. It's a PG-13 horror movie. It's a good one to show the family if they got patience and everything like that. I would recommend checking this one out. It's pretty good. Another one from 2001 that I enjoyed. The others. Sometimes the world of the dead gets mixed up with the world of the living. As you can see, the housework has been rather neglected since the servants disappeared almost a week ago. Do you mean they just vanished? Into thin air. How do you do, children? I'm your new nanny. Are you going to leave us too? Why should I leave you? The others said they wouldn't. They did, and then it happened. Why have you opened the curtains? It was Victor. You told your brother that there was someone else in the room. There was. That'll do, Anne. I've seen them too. Have? Sooner or later, she'll see them. Then everything will be different. <laughs> Okay, now we're going to go into that run through 91. And this is by Todd Haynes. And I had seen this movie before. Um, this is Poison. And it's been a long time since I watched it. I remember um, I remembered a lot of it. When I put it in, two of the stories came right back to me. This is an anthology. It's three stories. They consider it a horror movie. At least a couple of them are definitely horror. Not all of them. But um, it's three stories, and they're all cut up. They don't they don't go in order, so they're all cut up. And they're three highly different kind of genres of film. We have one that's like kind of a pseudo-documentary, kind of fake documentary, true crime story re retelling. One that's like a black and white kind of take on the 50s horror sci-fi movies. And then one that is kind of like this weird prison drama that's and they all kind of deal with homosexuality in one way or the other um the 50s 60 or the 50s 60s kind of horror black and white one is definitely like a take on you know being like the hiv monster and afraid to say that you have it and that spread of it and the panic and the paranoia and everything of or even just being gay you know what i mean like that whole thing so and then we have the story of the documentary too where like the person's kind of an outsider and they're not liked and everything too being picked on and then we have the prison one which is probably probably the most deep in terms of it for me like as in as in terms of longing and everything and um, that one just has some really twisted things in it or are moments of like a masculinity and everything because it takes place in the 40s and it's a prison movie and it has flashbacks that's within it where they talk about this this young man moves into the prison and uh, this other guy knew him from the um, the youth can the youth kind of like prison or whatever the hell they were at you know basically those kind of places that Carl Panzram grew up in and became a monster in those kind of places um, and Albert Fish but um, these like uh, basically he knew this guy and everybody picked on him and he always watched him be like physically raped and, and 
beaten and everything like that. And it has this weird infatuation with him when he comes into his prison. And he himself is kind of an outsider. He's a homosexual. And although the other guys seem to engage in homosexual activities, I don't think they would consider themselves homosexual. If that makes any sense to anybody within a prison terms or anything like that. But the way that one unfolds is just really kind of a weird statement and everything like that. Just kind of dark and... and depressing um the 50s sci-fi one works really well for me i I like that one too i think it's kind of creepy and and crazy and everything and and uh it's a tragic love story i think it works and uh of course the uh one that feels real i I just like that kind of style of filmmaking how they interview all these people and they just kind of let some of them freestyle and go off and stuff it just comes across real to me and all three of these stories kind of mix together these three you know conventional i guess storytelling techniques even though the prison one it feels a little unconventional but the whole movie as as a whole is unconventional as hell but the three stories would be considered pretty typical but they're all mixed in and they all are told and they they climax at the same time and everything like that just makes it interesting and it makes it kind of a unique statement on those kind of things in general so i I really like this one i think it's uh it works well i would be curious to see them cut up in like just their their whole shorts but i actually think it works well this way um there's a really kind of almost crazy moment in the uh, prison one where he's being interviewed when he's sent into the prison and it's the 40s right so um basically the the warden or who's ever signing him in maybe the doctor psychiatrist or whatever he's like it says here that you engaged in in sex with and he doesn't want to say it with males and and he's just like and it's like this long pause, and he's like, yeah, whatever. And he's like, so he's going to write homosexual. And he's like, is that one word or, or two? Like, uh, <laughs> and that's just kind of crazy there. And, and someone actually told me that's because at the time, in the 40s, Roosevelt actually had changed and made basically the entire United States or whatever have a code for spelling certain words certain ways because, you know, a lot of people would spell different things like color and gray probably differently in different states and everything like that. So they basically had to get it all under the same umbrella. And maybe the term was fairly relatively new or something that nobody really had to say back in the day. But anyways, this is kind of a, definitely a cult movie. has a huge following. And Todd Haynes is a director that went on to do a bunch more stuff that I'm not really familiar with. You know, I, I'm a big cult horror Western guy, so those are the movies that I kind of gravitate to. So this one being a cult movie I had seen before and heard a lot of things about it, uh, I really like it. I think it's a really good movie. So um, it's interesting as hell, too, and all three of the stories are pretty good. I don't know if I'd put it fully in horror, but at least one of the stories is definitely a horror movie. Big sci-fi, too, for sure. But um, I, I like that one, too. It's science gone wrong, of course. You know, somebody who's like kind of a brilliant man screws up working on sexual hormones and becomes this sexual leper killer and it spreads like crazy and it just basically turns everybody into this thing and it gives me a little it kind of reminds me of Racerhead a little bit too you know just the look of it but um i like this one i think it's good i think it's worth checking out for sure
Then the next one here from 1991 is No Telling um, by Larry Fessenden. And um, I don't want to be negative, but um, I really have a hard time connecting to Larry Fessenden's work. Depraved, the, the Frankenstein story he made, I, I just did not really like it. This one is also a Frankenstein story, No Telling. I think it's AKA The Frankenstein Complex or something like that. Now, stuff like Beneath and Last Winter, I was fine with when I saw him. I don't remember how I haven't watched him in such a long time. And I adore when Larry Fessenden pops up in a movie. Like he's one of my favorite parts popping up in a lot of movies like the mind's eye or even session nine when he pops up, it's like, Oh shit, it's Larry Fessenden or the dead don't die. He's a, he's a very good actor and his movies are well made for the most part. And they have something to say, but his characters always leave me very empty. And I don't know if that's its intent and maybe it's just some working for me or that's his message in general and i'm just not getting it but that's how they do no telling is i like how this one's shot let me say that um it's gotta be is it 16 looks pretty 16 to me but um i like how it's shot they cleaned it up really well in this i, I like how it's shot and edited i think there's some good editing techniques that kind of cut into the next scene really well i think there's some good you know long shots and cool um you know kind of do-it-yourself um cinematography that i love when it comes to independent cinema and um, there, there's some other things, too, that I like. The location I love, kind of this countryside uh, horror movie. like that, too. And maybe this is one that, if I watched again, I would enjoy it more. But we have a couple that kind of moves out into this rural area where the husband is basically working on kind of getting a grant. He kind of got some funding. But he wants he's working on trying to cure um, paralyzed people. So he uses a lot of lab animals and everything like that. He wants to be isolated into this location and just work his heart out to his content. His wife is kind of an artist, so she takes pictures and does paintings and everything like that. So they're isolated out in this kind of rural area. Nearby, um, there's also this guy named Alex Vine who's basically working on um, trying to make, a, um, I guess you'd say, like a, um, natural um, farming stuff that and go against the big corporate greedy companies that are pumping nasty chemicals into the area that are killing farm life and everything like that and livestock and everything so he's kind of working directly with a lot of the local farmers and and one of them he kind of befriends and everything like that but uh there starts this weird kind of love triangle i guess you'd say between the three of them alex fine um the the art the photographer why um the artist wife and the you know uh scientific husband so um it's only weird that i remember alex fine's name is the only character i remember in the movie probably because everybody says it a hundred times but uh it starts obviously to get complicated and one of the big set pieces in the movie is that there's this big argument at, at dinner and i feel like that's larry fessenden kind of talking on all sides of the story here um talking about how you know science you know is kind of messed up and everything and like the big corporate greedy and everything like that but this movie i believe is a statement on you know the mistreatment of animals i think that's what larry is a big animal lover so um, you know, then the special features they talk about, you know, wanting, you know, not wanting to put a lot of stress on the animals in the movie to prove a point, but they think that there's a certain extent worth it. You know, like we got to get our message across. We won't really hurt the animals. Maybe just, you know, putting them a little bit through stress is, is worth the message that we're going to get across. But, um, of course the scientist, he starts to run out of material and everything like that. And he's on a breakthrough. So he starts to capture certain animals and traps and everything like that. And it gets darker and sicker and, um, I think his character turns a little too dark, a little too fast. And, and, um, at the end of the movie, like, I don't think these people love their pets or, or hate human beings enough because they really should have done something more severe to this character. I just can't control myself in situations like this. I might have terrible temper, but I think most people would have went overboard with it. I think that, um, I think the characters turn out to be kind of wimpy. 
and it kind of bothers me. And maybe that it's trying to be more realistic in the sense, but I just had a hard time swallowing a lot of that without, and I was just kind of at that point where I was like, eh, not gonna, not, not doing it for me, that ending. It's just a little weak and lackluster. And, um, maybe that's the point to leave you empty inside or, or unfinished, but, um, it's just kind of almost like not enough comeuppets or not enough oomph at the end to do much for me, to be honest. Um, now, uh, there's some scenes that I really like in here where Alec, or the woman's thinking about cheating on her husband and she's waiting outside in the rain and she's like, what am I doing? And she gets on the bike and rides off. I think that's a nice shot, nice moment. Um, I think that there's a really good moment um, when the actual husband and wife have sex and, you know, they just, um, the way it's shot and the way, the way they do it is just a little bit different than another Hollywood movie would film and stuff like that. I like that. Um, like, again, I like the small little kind of rural location area. Uh, the dialogue's pretty decent, too. I don't think the acting's poor. Um, and some of the special effects at the end are, are pretty good. So um, it is definitely a, a movie. The Frankenstein Complex fits well. No telling is basically just saying no telling what how far people will go. And, and, and what they will do. So um, this one is a little bit uh, lukewarm for me. I know a lot of people will like it. I do think it's interesting. I do think people need to see this for themselves. And I think a lot of people will love it. Love, eat it up. It's just like I said, I had the same kind of problems with the depraved. It's just, I'm not sure if I want to, you know, no telling. I like the two characters enough. Depraved, I didn't like any of the characters enough to want to watch them. But no telling just doesn't have enough at the end for me to do anything with. And it just kind of really bothered me. And maybe it's maybe it's intent is to bother me and make me feel like crap and not give me any satisfaction. And there, in that case, it's 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 a positive. But um, I, initial thoughts, it just kind of leaves me empty inside and aggravated. So um, that's no telling. It was supposed to be a perfect summer in the country. A second honeymoon for Lillian and Jeffrey Gaines. A time for Lillian to find out. Your husband's uh, not exactly an MD, is he? I love you. Just how well she knows her husband. Jeffrey? The public doesn't want to understand. They don't want to know the gory details. They just want to be saved. I know his work's important, but... Hey, Lillian. Don't try to drag me into your problems with Alex Vine. What are you doing out there that's making you so paranoid? Believe me, this is not how I want to work, but they've given me no choice. Gosh, Jeffrey, what have you done? I am trying to save lives. Why are you protecting I'm not protecting him, he's my fucking husband! Someone is experimenting with our future. Jeffrey, what is going on? And there's no telling how far he will go. The Frankenstein Complex. Hey guys, it's Flying Spot here. What with the day yep. the earth stood still, we're here to review yep. it. It's decent. All right, see you next week with uh, his pick. How come when you do an impersonation of me, you're doing me doing an impersonation of a guy from Chicago? Hey guys, what's up? This is uh, Blind Spot. Do your thing. Why are you in the dark? You look all orange over there. What? what? I think only lights what's hitting you? me and no lights. <laughs> I think so. You got to just be blind. Oh, okay.
Yeah, we got to be insensitive to blind people now. <laughs> that what yeah, that's doing. what we're doing because that's what we're going to be accused of, even though no blind person would be watching YouTube. They could li be listening. You're right. Yeah. We should cut this. Or watching a movie. Okay. Regardless, um, this is Blind Spot. We're here to do The Day the Earth Stood Still. This is Jeremy's pick. Uh, I had actually never seen it either, which is bad. This is a 1951 uh, sci-fi movie, and this also continues Jeremy's run through the Rocky Horror Picture Show song. Yes. Where he based all his picks on. Not all of them. <sighs> We got Harry or something. Half of them. But okay, this, like I said, 51 is directed by Robert Wise, who actually directed The Haunting and a bunch of other movies, which is it was just kind of crazy that, um, you know, he did this. And I like when I saw his name, I was like, geez, I didn't know he did this one as, as well. But uh, do you want to take over the plot of this one? Or do you want me to? Um, Yeah, let's do the plot. Let's... You go ahead. All right. So <laughs> um, there is a UFO that is circling the Earth. And all the nations of the world are broadcasting it, and it eventually lands in Washington, D.C., where after some studying, uh, an alien comes out, and he wants to speak to all the world's leaders all at once. And immediately, we shoot the alien, yeah. because that's how American people are. American. And um, honestly, at this point in time, I don't, with current situations, there's no doubt that we would just shoot the alien. On the spot, because that's what we are oh, yeah. at this point. <laughs> but um, regardless, the alien recovers quickly, and he has a message for the people of Earth. Right. And um, and so what it is, is he wants to speak to all the nations at, all at once. And the, the American that he's working with is like, well, we can't guarantee that. The political climate's kind of wishy-washy. Well, that's just because bureaucracy <coughs> and nonsense, how we always right. are. We can never come together for anything, no matter what. This movie is so... Ahead of its oh, time. it's so it's so poignant, and, and and it's not bureaucracy. It's just that the other nations, pettiness. every well, you know, we're even, in the middle of a cold yeah, war. It's pettiness, though, too. Right. Um. You know, like he shows them the telegrams from like the Soviet Union and and things like that. Like it must be in Moscow. It must be over here. And it's like, eh, well, I kind of landed here. Um. So the Martian, he's not a Martian. He's an alien. The alien um goes and lives with. You know, some neighborhood people. He actually has to escape. And yeah. he escapes and he ends up going to like a, um, one of these like shared community homes. Mm -hmm. And he starts to befriend a little boy who seems to be the only one that can understand him and give him a chance. And they kind of go around the town and he starts to speak to him. And you learn a lot about the alien and his outlook on life and everything. And he wants to meet with one of the like head professors. Right. So that's kind of the plot here. But the government's catching on to him and people start to, you know, uh, think he's evil. Maybe it's even like a big kind of, I guess people could say this is like a thing for communism too. But people like you always trying to search that. because you know what I mean? Like they're all going crazy trying to find him and they think he's a violent, mm -hmm. even though they're the ones who shot him and he did absolutely nothing wrong. Right. But he does have this giant, like, sentry robot named uh, Gort? Gork? Gork or Gort? I Gort. can't remember. I wanted to call him Gorsh because the Gorsh <laughs> Brothers, but it's Gort. Yeah, and he's just, like, big robot uh, and just pretty much... Uh, I feel like he's been a template for, like, villains like Nimrod or a bunch of other Marvel characters. Um, I can't... Gort? Yeah, 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 for sure. He, um, Very inspirational in the sci-fi world and comic world. Oh, absolutely. And video game world, if you guys yeah. ever played Earthbound, it, yeah. you know, I think Starman has his design rooted in him to some extent. Um, well, another interesting point is, right, right, I noticed his name is Klaatu. 
or something around those lines. And um, at one point, oh, somebody is given directions to say something to a robot, Klaatu, Barada, Niktu. And uh, the first time I registered as two huge influences that I that basically took it from this movie. First is Star Wars. Like watching this, I was like, oh, those are all names of skiff guards because I used to collect the toys. So we have Klaatu and he's like, they are all different skiff guards in the movie. And then they would go on later to use that in Army of Darkness, um, where the three words that... Um, Ash has to say before he takes the Necromonicon and of course he screws up and doesn't say the last one um, <laughs> Nick too there I said it or whatever he does so uh, that's that's really great how influential this movie was and no one really brings up that point you know that mm-hmm. uh, Army of Darkness kind of and Star Wars took it from this movie yeah well you know I you know I've never seen this movie obviously I you know and I, I don't know how influential this is oh I to imagine pop culture but I mean just those yeah. examples right there um what do we want to talk about this movie? Well, I'm just surprised how poignant it is. Yeah. And it feels like an amazing Twilight Zone episode long. And that's mm-hmm. how like, a lot of great sci-fi movies or horror movies you compare. Like, this just feels like a, one of the best Twilight Zone episodes of all time. Yeah. And this one obviously was, you know, made around the same time, around that same time period mm-hmm. and stuff. And I just am kind of surprised. Like, even if they made a movie today like this, I feel like a lot of people would be angry at it. I, I feel like people are like, oh, it's just pushing its message. But if you do your push your message correctly or, or smoothly, mm-hmm. it's just like so much better. And, and and I just don't know if today's filmmakers could push a message like this in a, in a good enough direction or today's audience are just so easily upset over everything. Well, let's let's talk about this message, though, because it's interesting. So yeah. he comes from an alien planet, a whole alien society. It sounds like there's several planets. Um, and they're concerned because mankind is increasing its nuclear capability and soon they're going to be putting nukes onto spaceships. And Yeah, they do not want nukes in space because right. they don't care what we do to each other. They're not going to mm-hmm. govern us, but they are going to govern space, govern space. And they basically have um, anybody who acts outward with violence in that kind of way is decimated. Right. It's kind of like the, uh, what is the bomb in Strangelove? If anybody shoots a bomb, we all get bombed. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like... The whole point of the uh, yeah. Doomsday Machine yeah. is to, you know, inspire fear. Why would you not tell the world its effect is lost? Um, that's not the exact quote, but... Yeah, similar. Yeah, one of my favorite movies. Um, so, but but look at this alien civilization. They're really advanced. You know, they heal each other. They, they live a long time. Um, they're peaceful. They... Their solution, however, is to live under the rule of, like, an authority like police robot force well there's only one rule though there is only one rule but so so i guess my question is is how much free will do you have in the future or or how much free will should be be even given right i mean (laughs) is your free will actually being attacked when it's only telling you not to break the law or man's law in general not kill someone I can do whatever I want, but what, what's that saying that like you're free to wave your arm, but your your that that right stops, or you have the right to to wave your arm in the air, but that right stops when it makes contact with my face. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of the same way, right? I think here. that's kind of what 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 this is getting at. Like, do what you do, but you know, don't you know? It's, it's strange. It's, it's a complex kind of issue that right people would obviously debate on. You know, is this mm-hmm. is total. Um, is total freedom even worth it when you can't have, you know what I mean? Right. It's right. complicated. Um, I, I love the Klaatu. He's great. Mm-hmm. I, I love him. And, um, really it shows you get annoyed at a lot of the human characters just because they're ignorant. And I love the, the news media is interviewing people 
and uh, they interview the alien, and they're looking, they're talking to people about the alien, and they don't know he's the alien, of course, he's kind of incognito, and they ask him, and he starts to break it down in like an intellectual, intelligent way, and they're like, that's great, and they go to the next guy. And, like, you, you're terrified, aren't and, and you? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's scary. And it's just like, the news media like interviews the dumbest people they can find and just mm-hmm. ask the most leading questions, and they don't care about anything, you know, intelligent. They're just like trying to get enough little snippets for the 7 o'clock news or whatever. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, um, I think th- this movie translates really well today, and even, like, I think the current political climate in some regard. But um, look at us dating this movie. Anyways, yeah. um, but I think that also, um, you know, your comment on the media, I think both Dr. X had that kind of commentary, too. Yeah. And um, what was the one... The other one you picked last week. Last week, um, after Doctor X. Oh, Eyes Without a Face. Eyes yeah, they did face. basically mention the media as well. Yeah, similar. it's it's funny because we're always talking about how like a lot of people are like movies don't have any. Back then, they just made movies. It's like right. not really. I just mean they were better at putting their message in there without hitting you over the head with it. And even when they did hit you over the head with it, it was so mm-hmm. well done you didn't care. Like Romero's movies, but right. I, I don't know what it is about people. I people are like I just go to see movies for entertainment. It's like you didn't really. You didn't. And and the thing is like like these issues have always been with us. They will always yeah. be with us. And we might remember when we were younger, not necessarily picking it up on. On those topics, but that you know they informed us in a subconscious way. You know they were always there. And I will admit that sometimes messages in movies are kind of annoying when they're overdone. Yeah, 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 preachy and stuff, shove it down your throat. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I feel like a lot of these movies, especially '50s sci-fi movies, always had something to say, and it was Mm -hmm. well done. And people, you know, they basically acted reacted to that well, right? Or thought about it. I and I, I I do like think that a lot. I, I don't know. We haven't watched any that have been really communisty yet um a lot of people say invasion of bias snatchers is but don siegel himself said basically it's um it was a metaphor for not being able to sleep but the, the reason that movie works so well is that you can take it anyway like oh they're communists right. oh they're the anti-communists oh mm-hmm. they're you know people that can't sleep you can do anything with it that's why that one's so right. everybody loves that movie and it works so well and i think part of the thing with um film analysis in general is you know, is this the author's intent? Did the author know his intent? Should the author be removed? Is it conscience or subconscious? Yeah. You know, like, I, I will always maintain that I don't necessarily think that Romero knew what he was making when he made Night of the Living Dead. I mean, he knew that he knows, he knows what he's making, but I, I think that how it panned out, I think it was like a Lightning accidental a genius. Yeah. Now, now he, he did carry it through to his other movies, and they are fantastic, but I think that those ones were a bit more intentional. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I I thought this was a pretty good movie actually. It was kind yeah. of amazing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'd give this one like a I, well, we got to do the book review, but I'd give it um out of five, maybe a solid four. Yeah, I'm like eight eight out of ten. Yeah, it is like eight. I said, it's very Twilight Zoney episode. It could go up for sure if yeah. I watch it again. Um, it's not in my book. It's not on tear on tape, but yeah. it is on John Stanley's Creature Features, and right. Jeremy's going to read it. We're, we're going to read it. Um, again, this is not a Hammer movie, so I don't know why it's in this book. <laughs> Stop it. Those <laughs> books have a bunch of things in there. All right. All right. Day the Earth Stood Still, 1951. He gives it five stars? Five out of five. I thought he only did four. No, that's James O'Neill. That's the other guy? That's why you have to say. Yeah. Oh. What do I... I don't read this one. This yes, is you do. Book. No, I read the one... That's all peeling at the cover. You tricked me. This is your book. And you lost a spot. Hold you're, on, we'll you're... find it again. Is it my book? Yeah, this one's your book. You God, tricked me. you're such me. a fuck-up. How'd you lose the page? <laughs> you can't be swearing on YouTube like Shut that. Shut up. All right. Uh, the that... Day the Earth Stilled. 
Five out of five, one of the finest sci-fi movies of the 50s, thanks to director Robert Wise's concern for atmosphere and characterization. Harry Bates' short story, Farewell to the Master, was altered by writer Edmund North by The Essence is Kept. But The Essence is Kept. Michael Rennie is Klaatu, an alien who lands his flying saucer in Washington, D.C. to warn us we must settle our geopolitical differences or else. Wounded by soldiers, he is hospitalized, but goes undercover to locate a brilliant scientist in order to gather the intelligentsia to hear his plea. To prove he means business, Klaatu stops all machinery on Earth for one hour. The score by Bernard Herrmann is classic and even uh, theologically... That word's such a tongue twister for me. Theologically... I can't say theological as a theologian. <laughs> you say it. I can't say theological in that in that um, term. I even know where you're pointing. Right uh, there. Theologians. Theologians. Jesus Christ, I wanted to say theological. <laughs> Um, have studied the peculiar Christ, uh, Christ symbolism North inserted into the script. Patricia Neal is the love interest who befriends the alien and seeks out a seven-foot robot Gort to utter Klaatu, Barada Niktu, to keep Gort from destroying the world. Gort was Lock Martin, the 7-7 seven, seven doorman. And um, um, usually Jeremy reads these before he reads them, and I didn't read this one, so I had a little tongue twister <laughs> there. But uh, yeah, I also forgot about Bernard Herrmann's score, which is um, kind of crazy to see Bernard Herrmann, because yeah. immediately he's always associated with Psycho, but he's done a bunch, and um, Taxi Driver for me. Well, um, I, we didn't even talk about like the, the scene that the day the air stood still. Is that what this movie's called? Yeah, yeah, that's a good scene. Uh, yeah. Definitely reminds me of something like Twilight Zone, 110%. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's just some fantastic um, footage of yeah. like everybody just like losing their shit because yeah. like the electric cows won't milk. Yeah. And... I liked it better when they went crazy in Maxim Overdrive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, what, what a Do you think he based the whole movie of Maximum Overdrive on the day the Earth stood still? No, scene? he based that movie off of a cocaine. Coke binge, yeah. Okay. I, I mean. But Jeremy, who made who? Who made, Who made you? Ain't nobody told you. Is, is that Maximum Overdrive? That's ACDC in the soundtrack of Maximum Why is the Green Goblin in that movie? Like, Why did they get the rights not? for that? Yes, I'm sure of it. Stephen King always puts stuff like that. That's so movie. weird. It's such Who a weird Who cares? Thing. I love I it. I care. Okay, so Maximum Overdrive, for me, is probably a... All right, Day the Earth Stood <laughs> Still, classic movie. Next week is Planet of the Apes. I've never seen Planet of the Apes. I know it's horrible. I have seen Planet of the Apes. I've seen like 15 Planet of the Apes. All right, we got it. We're done. It's always on USA. I don't know how you ever missed it. We're done. Bye. We interrupt this program to give you a bulletin just received from one of our naval units at sea. A large object traveling at supersonic speed is headed over the North Atlantic toward the east coast of the United States. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Drew Pearson. We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. The arrival of a space ship in Washington. The Army has taken every precaution to meet any emergency which may develop. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. to give you these facts. But if you threaten to extend your violence, this earth of yours will be reduced to a burned out cinder.
Without you, what could he do? There's no limit to what he could do. He could destroy the Earth. All vehicles, close in. Let's go. Right, guys let's get into these questions uh tempo tapas are you looking forward to possessor i only heard about it a few weeks ago it sounds like it will be interesting yes that's a cronenberg's son's movie right i haven't even watched this first yet antiviral but possessor i saw the cover and it looked batshit i'm definitely interested i try to avoid trailers definitely interested in that one um nick Moore, um liking the blue shirt day very bored boardroom ish do you have a tie to match i'd uh, maybe i i don't know I, I dress like a slob. You guys haven't noticed for the most part. Also, it wasn't death death. It, also, it wasn't a death head's moth that you had in your throat, right? Because then I'd be worried about you. Uh, I don't think so. Questions: Is there such a thing as too many twists in a scary movie? Recently, brought the twenty nine thirteen thriller twenty nineteen thriller I see you featuring Helen Hunt, and I liked every minute of it, especially those twists. Some reviewers thought this film tried too hard that the screenwriter went overboard. Please share your thoughts on the use of twists and turns. I think effective twist and turns can work really well. Like the others, you have the one where you predict it, and you don't think you're going to get a second one, but when you do, you're like, oh, that makes the whole movie worth it. And uh, sometimes it, it just gets it gets dumb. Like um, at the end of I Spit on Your Grave, Deja Vu, another twist, you're like, okay, here we go, is another goddamn dumb twist. Um, it depends. It all really depends on everything and too many variables in the movie. Um, if you have too many twists, you might lose your audience and everything like that. So it depends, you know, to be honest. But... Um, and then we have, it's often said that creepypastas are the natural evolution of dark fairy tales and urban legends. I remain un unconvinced. Did you see the laugh out loud disaster Slenderman? How do you feel about them? I haven't really read that many creepypastas. Um, I don't really pay attention to them. I've heard some things about Slenderman and everything. Didn't watch it. Not really interested. Um, I guess that's the way the world's going. But, um, you know, if, if one comes out and it looks great, I'll watch it. But I haven't really been keeping up on creepypastas. As you're a filmmaker, I wanted to ask you, what do you prefer to use for movie blood? What has the best color and texture? I'm not really a good filmmaker, if you haven't noticed. I don't really know what the hell I'm doing, and I haven't done that many things. So, um, There's different kinds of blood, though, that you will use. If you know you got to get it out of the carpet or something, you'll put a little bit of soap in there and everything. Mix you know, food coloring and uh, everything like that. Uh, you can order the blood. Um, you can If you got to put it in somebody's mouth, some people will use a chocolate-based blood. So it all depends on what kind of blood you'll be using. Um, I'm not an expert on this, of course. I'm not even really good at special effects at all. But I do know that if you're going to mix it, you, you do want drops of red, but you want drops of blue, too, to darken it up. So you got to get the right mixture and everything like that. So you, you'd be better off asking somebody like Dustin Mills or Marcus Cook or somebody that actually knows what the fuck they're talking about. But I just know that we've used multiple different kinds of blood. And some people just order the blood online and just don't, just you know, and, and it works for them. So Okay, then we have some answers. Basically, I ask... Um, last week, what fear you have would make a great horror movie. Nick Mua, one fear that I have is being motionless. I used to have a used to have a reoccurring nightmare where I'm in my bedroom is beyond pitch black and suddenly I realize I can't move an inch. I also become increasingly aware that some dread thing is coming for me, though I can't describe it. Enters the room and still can't mo move a muscle. It's right above me. Then I wake up gross and sweaty. And then Cameron Scott, keeping it real here, dying alone. Yeah. 
Corey Zunk, the world we live in is fake and all the people are actors like the Truman Show, but the guy finds out and gets the show canceled, making all his supposed friends and family wanting him dead because of loss of money and stuff like that. Um, Matthew Hamm, waking up to find I'm a victim in a snuff movie. William Adcock, Centipedes. There's a Chinese black magic film called Centipede Horror about a woman puking up centipedes, but they could definitely do an arachnophobia type movie with centipedes. I think I've seen Centipede Horror, and there's also eels in that movie. Indone- is it Indonesian? or? But regardless... Um, very gross. And then Matthew Hudson um, replies to him, my choice as well, terrifying fuckers, movie could go two ways, small normal peds and arachnophobia clone, or giant centipede. You've ever seen the National Geographic video showing the centipede killing the tarantula? Imagine giant peds doing, does that to a human. I couldn't watch in case you never saw it, and he posted. If, if centipedes are in fear in you as they are in me, I wouldn't watch it. And then basically, Jeremy Post, accidentally eating dookie. They can get something else because you weren't paying attention again. Stop it. Lee Jones, The Irrational Ones. I know that's a cop-out. Mark Humphreys, the current, si- shit sh- yeah, the current situation the world is in, as long as it's not Full Moon making the film. Okay. Bobby Jose, nasty case of trypophobia, like instant appearing disease. Peter England, high anxiety, sort of Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo 2.0. Damien Zygote, fear of making a movie. Tom, um, basically Horsball, four more years of Trump. Jamal Potter, waking up and finding myself living in Minneapolis. Cody Lee Harden, fear of Dave not being my friend anymore. Well, no need to fear that, because it's already happened. Jill Ann, it already was, arachnophobia. Jason um, Shawan, the floor of an elevator dropping out. Could be terrifying. Farting napalm. What if every pore yield all its pus at the same time? Um, those are all three his. Scott Fox, Heights. Timothy Toho Callan, Fear of Waking Up Dead. Oh, the plot is so thick with groovy chit. Uh, Rachel Walker, Being Trapped Somewhere with Confined Room. Justin Patrick, I'm not afraid of anything because I'm a man, so I guess my only fear would be if I was magically less manly. Hilarious. I He then posts, I do have a minor fear of dish, a phobia of dishwater. Um, Jay Wall, I have an irrational fear that someone put acid in my Visine bottle. A uh, Visine bottle, sorry. I don't know if that's even possible, and it wouldn't make a great movie, but maybe a great scare that would traumatize me for the rest of my life. Uh, Septum Sin, a fear of cats killing herrings on the streets of New York with clubs that are actually small walruses. It's a realism, huh? Zach Killingsworth. Well, there are plenty of ocean whores, maybe gang stalking. PJ Fernandez, Republicans. Let's keep it loud. We're getting a little political, guys. I'm just kidding. Do whatever you want. Thomas H. Uh, Peterson, Porn Movies Revenge. David Gibson, The Tear of a Damaged Slipcover. <laughs> J.P. Andrika, Serial Killers Freak Me Out. So being in that kind of situation, running into the wrong person. Cody Cooper, I have a fear of abandonment. I fear that people who I care about and, and are my friends will one day stop caring about me. So I think that could make a good horror movie. Being completely abandoned until you're left all alone. I know some people might see this as a good thing. Kevin Roach, I have an irrational fear of the of dark water. I don't care if it's a swimming pool at night. Send shivers up my spine just thinking about it. Adrian Hall, Heights. Oddly, it hasn't been done that much. There's Hitchcock's Vertigo, which isn't really a horror. And then I'm struggling to find other examples. The Last Circus is one. Oh boy, the heights at the end of The Last Circus made me want to die. Um, and Day of the Beast, same director. They do good stuff with heights there. Steven Fernando, I just overcame a strange, embarrassing, and unusual fear of being in front of the camera. Looking into the lens to me was like making eye contact with a ghost. I had terrible anxiety attacks when I would try. Only recently I conquered my fear and am back in front of the camera. That's strange. I guess it happens, though. My first reviews are horrible. I'm just like, and then the guy was like, ha. You know, it happens. John Smith, the dead version of myself coming to get me. Um, LOL, but they already made that movie, like Mongo, and it was presented the exact way I've always pictured this happening to me. 
James D. Cokes, whales, they scare the shit out of me. Doesn't help they're in water, but they're so unnaturally big. Faith Botwin, these fucking things. They're called sprickets and are usually spiders with a uh, body of a cricket and can hop like 10 feet in the air. They're very common in New Jersey, and I hate them so much. Seth Pollen, he basically uh, backs us up. These were common in the last apartment I lived in. They called them cave crickets or camel crickets there. I had never seen them before and nearly shit myself when I first saw the, saw the first one. They jump is especially fucked up because I'm pretty sure they just end up wherever they end up with no real sense of targeting or direction. Scott uh, Herliska, kangaroo scared the shit out of me. Rakesh Brown, um, trypophobia, Mark. Martin C. Boyer, fear of horror movie writers and directors that are perverted psychopaths and liberals. Get over it. Um, inside there. Chris Leppert, fear that the bipolar and depression I've tried to handle with handle will be too much to deal with, especially with everything going on. Also worried that there will be will never be an opportunity to be part of a real connection with someone. That having to be a phone call with a relative who wants to remind you of insanity is real, while politics, religion, and conspiracies can be talked about nonstop forever. And then we have some old answers. Basically, he asked you what Blue Underground releases you wanted in 4K. Derek B. Hey, Dave. Um, he basically wants a 4K edition of For the Apocalypse. Robert White. I'd like to see Rats, Knights of Terror get the 4K special treatment edition. I know they've released a couple times. I'm just not sure how much more material they have access to with that release, but I'd love that. Cheers. Tony Araro. Black Belly the Tarantula. That would be a dream come true. Jason Fetters. Case of the Bloody Iris is a great yellow. Horse Ball. I want Baba's Shock. Just on... Um, just on Blu-ray would be nice. Dead and Buried, The Prowler, and Blade in the Dark would be my tops. Um, Timothy Matthew Hayes. Uh, heard there was talks a while back of the 4K restoration of Dead and Buried, but something kept it from happening. And he said, also heard Daughter's Darkness getting a 4K, but I think that's on hold. Math Brown, The Prowler, Shockways, Fight for Your Life. Um, Sean Brucker, totally forgot they had the Blind Dead movies too. The first two would be amazing. Also, Chris Leppard, I sent you an email about and picked Fight for Your Life because it's freaking amazing. Nathan, Nathaniel Bailey, Blind Dead Movies or Blade in the Dark. Robert White, I'd like to see Rats, Knights of Terror get the 4K special treatment. I know they released it. Oh, I think I got that one already. Sorry. Michael K, I'd like to see Blood Underground do an updated release of Mikel Suave's uh, 1987 underrated slasher stage fright. Sawin Christ 500 for the viewer's question. I'd love to see the Blue Underground give Dead and Buried a new 4K edition, even more so the fancy limited edition with CD of the score. Hope to see that someday. I would also have liked if they would have kept the Rise of City Dead and given it a 3 disc limited edition and 4K treatment too. Me too. Lance Lust, I would love to see Blue Underground find the original negatives and make a 4K remaster of Shockwaves. Uh, terrific reviews. I'd love to see Let Sleeping Corpses lie on 4K. I'm sorry about your cat, man. It's super hard to lose a pet. Thank you. And information, I posted this because Tempo Tapas Regarding the Q&A question about the Civil War movies, I'd recommend Free State of Jones. It's based on the real life of Farmer from Mississippi, played by Matthew McConaughey, deserted from and fought against the Confederate Army. He basically, uh, somebody asked uh, Civil War recommendations, he's giving one. And uh, the question of the week, I want—I know I've asked this before, but i got to ask, um, what is the best 2020 horror movie genre film that's been released so far? I'm having trouble watching a lot of them. I'm just not excited for the 2020 movies this year. So ones that have already been released that are good, if they're on Shutter, if they're on Amazon, if I can see it, if I can run it let me know because i'd like to see it so i guess we're not going to hop in the update because i don't have any t i don't have an update this week i have a bunch of stuff coming in but nothing has come in yet maybe it's the mails on whatever i don't have anything this week that's like the first time ever but uh yeah so see you guys i already did the buy so i'll play it again all right guys thank you very much for watching and as always you guys have a good one hey.